Dueling Genre presents Immunities, Season 2. When my eyes look up at the sky, it's full of reflections of all the other eyes looking up there. Being a looker is about never being alone. The me that controls my eyes looks up there a lot. She loves the feeling of all those other eyes looking at her, loving her, but I can't share in it because I know they don't love me. They're guarding against me because when I see the unity, instead of joining it, I can rip it apart. There is a crisis, or perhaps I should say a praxis. It is both a threat and an opportunity. We have been contacted by an individual who claims to be an alpha immune, highly placed in the scientific intelligence network of the unaltered community. That is the opportunity. And the threat? This individual says that the Resistance has an agent operating in our territory, one who can pull our thoughts directly out of the sky without our knowledge, and perhaps put other thoughts in. The information we have decoded has been borne out in reality, allowing us to monitor Resistance activities much more closely than before. We've had three couriers nabbed. They'll be inside jail cells for 30 days to a year for improper travel. And what about you? Have you considered retiring? Excuse me, have we met? I'm your cousin, Nicole. I guess not, because if we had, you'd know I'm not going to hide while someone else takes the risks. They've got Dominic locked up who knows where, for who knows how long, and there's nothing we can do about it. And you talked like I'd be saving the world. You are saving it, a little at a time. Immunities, available free at DuelingGenre.com and ImmuniediesDrama.com. Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we measure out our life in coffee spoons, analyzing and celebrating Spider-Man 2, 1, do you have a girlfriend? Minute at a time. I'm Zach <laughs> Oh, I'm Scott Corelli. <laughs> and I am Jay Malone. Welcome back, Returning Jay. once again. Yeah, happy to have you here, buddy. Uh, today... <laughs> Today we're tackling Minute 22 of Spider-Man 2, which is the one that begins with Otto saying... Did Marconi sleep before he turned on the radio? And ends with Otto saying, I'm serious, when uh, when he's discussing T.S. Eliot. This is, this is a, it's all just conversation over a, like, dinner table. And it is a um, reference-filled romp, I guess, is, is <laughs> how I'm going to phrase it. This, this is the worst uh, conversation with your parents about a girl that you want to have. Oh, boy. Because... Yeah. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's full of great actors. Yep. Just saying the heck out of words is what yep. it's full of. But 
Oh boy! They, if there's a conspicuously written part of this movie. It is this. They are they are trying their damnedest. Um, I okay. So, so let's start at the top and talk about yes. how Otto is is saying. Okay, so so in the last minute, Rosie said he needs to go to sleep so that he can be well rested for the demonstration tomorrow. Yep. Yeah. That's our that's our baseline of uh, that's our first axiom in this weird argument we're about to right. put forward. And, and yeah. then Otto has a reference tantrum. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Otto says first, did Edison sleep before he turned on the light bulb? <clears throat> I, why, Probably. Why would he? Okay. So all right. <laughs> Let me. You can't see me, but I'm rubbing my forehead. Um, okay. <laughs> so. Okay, <laughs> the light bulb is not creating a sun in your living room. No, <laughs> it's not the same thing. It's not the same size experiment. Uh, it it it's it's not like he had to say. It's not like he built the light bulb and then said, "I'll turn it on tomorrow." Right? <laughs> yeah. And it's it's not as if he turns on the light bulb the city could implode or explode or be bathed in radiation. It's, right. oh, that didn't work. Yeah, it's okay. not even dangerous. Yeah. yeah. So Let me so, check what Tesla did and steal his idea. Exactly. <laughs> so so right off the bat, we, we kill that reference. That doesn't make any sense. Then the next <laughs> one he says is when Marconi turned on the radio. Okay, this one <laughs> might make a little bit more sense because uh-huh. he, in order to do that, he would have had to you know, create some sort of signal to pick up on a radio. So there's a little bit more of a performance involved in that. Yeah. I, sure. There's a, I don't Alexander know. Graham Belliness to it where yeah. it's like, yeah, here we go. Click. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I don't know for sure what the situation was the first time that he turned on the radio, but maybe, <laughs> maybe it, there was a build up to it and maybe he didn't sleep the night before. I don't think we would know unless we asked Marconi and (laughs) I don't think he's alive anymore. Yeah. It's weak, but I can see the justification there. Kind of. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, Okay. Then did Beethoven sleep when he wrote the fifth? I don't think if he didn't, he didn't sleep for like nine months. Otto. (laughs) Like does, does Otto think that like, Turning on a, a a radio or a light bulb takes the same amount of time as writing a symphony. I, is that what he's telling us? I, I oh, don't like. I, I think he's telling us that he doesn't know anything about creativity at all. Because <laughs> <laughs> he knocked that out in an afternoon, right? Like it was just the, the fifth symphony. It's not a big deal. It's easy. Yeah. Before yeah. he wrote the fifth, like I mean, oh. it was his fifth symphony. He should have had it figured <laughs> out by then. <laughs> I d- like, did he sleep plus, before you uh, wrote the fifth? Oh my god! <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. It's irrelevant. What are you talking about? There's, it doesn't. Any, he's just like, okay, what's a list of like impressive accomplishments I can rattle off here so she'll <laughs> stop talking? I don't know. Inventing a light bulb and a radio and writing a, the Fifth Symphony. Sure. Uh, I just, but, but then it's Peter the gets Gremlins cut. thing, right? Like. Isn't every moment in Beethoven's life before he wrote the Fifth Symphony? Did he sleep before he wrote the Fifth Symphony? If it takes months, like <laughs> did he did he sleep before? No, just during and throughout, yeah. <laughs> but not immediately before. No, 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 of course not. <laughs> God, and then 
And then Peter has to speak up. Stupid Peter. And, and come to Otto's side of the argument by saying, did Bernoulli sleep before creating the curves of quickest descent? I, what are you talking about? Like, the curve is the quickest descent. Look, I'm not a mathematician, but the curve is the quickest <laughs> descent is basically like you got you got a right angle, you've got a diagonal across the two, and what it's suggesting is if you if you uh, then you've got a curve that goes from the top this point, curves underneath the lowest point and back up to uh-huh. the 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 meeting point at the end of the, the diagonal, right? Yeah. The destination, yeah. and if you drop a ball from all of those. The curve, because the curve builds up momentum, it would hit the end point faster than the other two. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what does sleeping have to do with, like, it's not like it's a thing that he, it, that he, that he came up, that he's like, you know, tomorrow I'm going to invent <laughs> a mathematical <laughs> theory. <laughs> All right. To, to be fair to Peter, to be fair to Peter, the like... There was a thing that Bernoulli did where he po- posited this as like a, uh, I'm smarter than you all. Here's like a challenge. Who can come up with mathematically the curve of quickest descent in this thing? Like he he publicly offered it as like a a thing. You know, you know Isaac Newton and my brother who's also named Bernoulli. Can any of you figure this out faster than I can? Like a like a math challenge, I guess. Okay. But uh, so like there's a little bit of a. Okay, there's an endpoint there, and we're all chasing after it, and I've finally cracked it, and I'm I'm there. And I, the Bernoulli's thing at least was that he figured out the the quickest curve there is a cycloidal path. I mean, cycloidal path. Oh, somebody's gonna kill me in the comments here. Um, so it's not. <laughs> I don't think any not mathematicians a, listen to this show, so I think fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> there's a math. There's different mathematical curves, right? Like the curve of a parabola is different than the curve on the outside of a circle, which is different than like you know other curves. So he had a hunch that a cycloidal path would be fastest and he didn't have a way to prove it. And he finally figured out and proved it. And then later people proved it with calculus, but he got the answer faster than Isaac Newton because he had like a hunch about it. But even so that's like a, a multi-month process of like wrestling with math problems. But not it's only, not- well, but not only that, but it's like, did he sleep before he came up with it? He didn't know he was going to come up with it. So, right, of course, right, he yeah. slept before he came up with it because <laughs> he didn't know it was going to happen. He came. He invented it like he just it's it's almost directly analogous to saying, like, did Newton <laughs> did, did Newton sleep before he got hit by an apple? On his head? <laughs> I mean, he was probably sleeping while he got hit by the apple. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you're out of your mind. Oh, it's just it is the most surface level approach to like. What intelligent references can we make here in the least intelligent way? Oh uh, man, golly! Look, I, I will, I will, I will bend over backwards, uh, forgiving the rough patches in the script in this because yeah. of the, because of you know the circumstances in which it was written, which was mm-hmm. you know in a trailer on set the day before they shot it. Yes, <laughs> uh, I you know it's okay. I understand. But like, my God, this is this kind of scene. This is this should be easy. This should be a cakewalk. This should be yeah. like, this, I mean, this is why you become a screenwriter is to write scenes like this. Like, yeah. this is easy stuff. And and the fact that he failed so spectacularly <laughs> oh. 
to make a scene about like his only job as a screenwriter is to make humans talk like humans with human logic. <laughs> and he fails to do it in this scene and it drives me up a wall. Because, um, yeah. I mean, it could have just been so easy, right? Because you could have just played into, you know, we've seen a little bit of Otto's ego to this point. Mm-hmm. It could have just been, Rosie, I don't want to sleep. I'm not going to. I'm too excited. It, done. Okay, fine. That yeah. at least makes sense in the character's arc. It's not, you know, dropping references because he felt like it. It's Yeah, yeah. Or you could show Peter and Otto having, like, intelligent conversation just in, like, a meeting of the minds type of way, not in a, like... Oh, let, here's let me one up you with some references, Rosie. Why don't you shut up when I drop my references, Rosie? I just <laughs> and then and then to top it all off, this uh. entire conversation, this argument or whatever, however you want to call it, whatever you want to call this. I don't I don't know yeah. what, what you would call this, but uh, it's all it 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 comes to an end when Rosie changes the subject by asking. Peter if he has a girlfriend and I just you're gonna make the female character in your movie who is already going to be a sacrificial lamb yeah not not great on the outset not not great on the outset and and I understand I understand the purpose I understand that he needs to have a wife and stuff because he needs to have what Peter wants and Peter needs to see what that looks like as like a good thing, but then he also needs to see what happens when you screw it up. And so all of that is hunky dory. I understand why it's there, but if you're going to do it, if you're going to make her a sacrificial lamb, please make her care about anything else, but Peter having a girlfriend, please. (laughs) (laughs) It's like as about as close to failing the Bechdel test that you can have happen in a scene with like two dudes and a lady. Like, obviously, there's not another woman for her to talk to, but it's literally, oh, what's her first thing to talk about? She's going to ask about girlfriend stuff. Let's have her do that. Let's uh. have her be that force <laughs> in the room. Uh, I get I get the intent. We do have to weave back in Peter's current emotional state, which is largely tied up with how he feels about MJ and how he can't express it. I do get wanting to weave that into the conversation here, but it is such an abrupt God, uh, Bernoulli and Curves of Descent, and then so Peter, girlfriend, what's up with that? I, I just, it hurts. See, it, it, to, yeah. to me, it would have, they should have had Otto ask that question, because Otto's clearly mm. the the romantic as we get further into the scene. He's the one who's, you know, waxing poetically about things. Yeah. Um, and it makes more sense for Otto to ask because immediately Rosie says, "Well, maybe he doesn't want to talk about it. Maybe it's a secret love." Well, then why the fuck did you ask the question? <laughs> Like, <laughs> you brought that's it up. True. Like, that's very true. Yeah, she is like, it's it like. I mean, I know this isn't what she's going for in the performance because uh, Rosie's lovely and played by a lovely actress. But it's like, uh, just here to start drama. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah right, <laughs> right. Oh, maybe he doesn't want to talk about it. You, you we wouldn't have been talking about it if it weren't for you. <laughs> oh boy. So silly. Oh I, I, yeah. I, uh, see, okay. So I'm going to put my screenwriter hat on. Okay. And I'm okay. going to tell you how I would have written this scene without really changing much of the content of the scene. Okay. And okay. I would have changed this because while we establish in this scene that Rosie was a English literature major, 
We also know that she is she she works with Otto in his lab. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, she's doing she's working on the fusion stuff. So what I would have done is I would have had Otto cooking or whatever, preparing oh, stuff while kind of like, you know, like playfully having like a little playful battle of the minds with Peter of about sustaining the fusion reaction. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then bring the stuff to the table. Rosie shows up late. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, this guy had questions about this, blah, blah, blah. Show that she was working really hard. And then she's like, oh, I'm going to go wash up. I'll be right back for dinner. And then Otto turns to Peter and, and, you know, maybe Peter even says like, oh, she's, she's great. And Otto's like, yeah, do you have a girlfriend? There you go. And then there you go. And then she comes (laughs) back and then as he's talking about meeting her and she's like, yeah, you tried to explain relativity and I tried to do T.S. Eliot and blah, blah, blah. And nothing else changes about the scene. There you go. And suddenly it's like a regular human conversation with regular human people. (laughs) (laughs) And, and Rosie doesn't, uh, doesn't only care about lady stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's much better. Yeah. It's pretty good. Oh boy. Um, I, instead of researching, uh, even attempting to research physics and uh, <laughs> things, nuclear stuff in this, I was intrigued by these references they drop. Uh, and so for this one, they have a bit where uh, the, the main bit here is I was trying to explain the theory of relativity. She was trying to explain T.S. Eliot. They're both difficult. Ha ha. Um, that's their like, you know, <laughs> meeting on the steps of college. They call it college. They don't explain beyond that. I'm assuming they're talking <laughs> undergrad, right? So like, gotta he's, be. Yeah. yeah. So what is he? He's, I don't know. He's he's studying physics while she's studying. No, 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 no. No, the script isn't written that well. She oh. says <laughs> he was studying science. Oh, <laughs> damn it. Yeah. Okay. So he was studying science. Science. Because, you know, that degree in science you can get. Yeah, you know that yeah, degree, just, science. Yeah, yeah, pl- <laughs> just science. You know, like math. Uh, so she, <laughs> like the scientist, it's like the scientist equivalent of a general do- education degree. <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was like the Van Wilder of the science department. That's <laughs> why so he ended up in special projects with Harry Osborne. Uh, oh, so- that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, so when when he says T.S. Eliot in just, general, I just Otto getting high in the science department, <laughs> just being like, I just want to like build a sun, you know? Yeah, man. I just want to build a sun and like, hold it in the palm of my hands. They're like, but man, we already have a sun. He's like, no, 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 no. But like smaller, like, like a small extra sun. sun. I could like provide energy with this sun. Yeah, but like we can get energy from the sun. I mean, like solar's like, no, no, no. no, no. Let me ask you sun. something. Have you read T.S. Eliot? <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend just explained this this T.S. Eliot to me, and you know, it's gonna blow your mind. And that was where I landed in the research. Was I assume they're probably talking about the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock because it is. The most famous T.S. Eliot poem, it was like his first one that he published. It's like the one that like you always end up talking about in oh, your really? is, intro. Is stuff. he not the guy yeah. that did um, Leaves of Grass? Is that not him? Um, Maybe. I don't know. I thought Prufrock and other... Uh, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm wrong yeah. about that. But that's the one that I always think of when I think of 
That's T- fair. T- yeah. No, that's Walt Whitman. That's Walt Whitman. I never Walt mind. Walt Whitman. There we go. Walt yeah. Whitman. I was like, okay, oh, so he was not the one that did Leaves of Grass. And <laughs> and I just further <laughs> proved that I know absolutely nothing about poetry. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> so what I, tried to, what I thought tried to pull out some basic knowledge, I thought, and nope. Okay, continue. Anyway. That's all right. So what, what I thought was nice about the choice of T.S. Eliot, specifically this poem, which she doesn't say, but I assume it is because of the time period. Um, is that with relation to the themes of the film, uh, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock is like a, it's a modernist, uh, you know, poem. It's sort of a, a weird stream of consciousness interior monologue of a man who feels isolated and is lamenting the fact that he never attained love in life and he lost all these opportunities in his life. Like he, all these opportunities went by and he didn't seize them. It's like a... Uh, a meditation on uh, impotence, but like not like sexual impotence only. It's just like he didn't do the things he could have with his life. And he never there's like the main the main part of the poem is like this great question he was going to ask or posit. And then he never did. And most people assume it was him like telling a woman that he loved her, but he never did. So like that, you know, Diaz, as much as the, like most of the scene is just like half assing, pulling things out of nowhere. My assumption here is that Sargent at least does quite like poetry and thought he would pick two poems that actually related to the theme. So today we get T.S. Eliot uh, with the love song of J.L. from Prufrock. And that one is is basically like a warning sign of where Peter might end up if he doesn't uh, if he doesn't talk to Mary Jane. Well, literally what like... they're going to talk about, about the, the secret love, right? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, love shouldn't be kept a secret like that. It was yeah. like almost like uh, he's like, let's do a book report of the poem and just slide it in right here in the, in the middle <laughs> right. of the scene. I yeah, do, um, I do love uh, the one, the one thing in this scene that I, I genuinely love, other than you know just generally the performances. But sure, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love it, and I say it all the time. I used it as a, as a quote, especially when I was a retail manager. I would do it all the time. No one knew what I was saying. <laughs> or what I was doing, but I would say it constantly, uh, Mm -hmm. is Otto saying, shouldn't you know? Who would know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I would do that all the time. So when when I would be like, hey, where's where's this person? And he'd be like, I don't know. I was like, shouldn't you know? Who would know? Who would know? Yeah. (laughs) And no one would have any idea I was quoting Spider-Man 2, but I would use that line all the time. And it is one of the most like human moments in the minute where uh, the question comes out of nowhere and Peter just kind of like looks for a second and he's like, what? I don't know if I I have a girlfriend. Like, actually, actually, the answer is no, you do not. Yeah, you definitely don't. Have a little bit of awareness, Pete. Yeah. (laughs) Shouldn't you know? Who would know? Yeah. It's pretty good. Um, Uh. I, I also, I, you know, I, I, this morning I went and scrolled through some T.S. Eliot and the, the bit of uh, J. Alfred Prufrock that stuck out to me, the, the line people quote a lot is the coffee spoons one, which is why I like started the, um, the, the minute with it. But just in terms of like our version of Otto Octavius is different than the comics version. And the comics version is much more of this like Prufrock character, this, um, you know, angry, you know, balding, well, not balding. He's got like a bowl cut, but like this, you know, you know, sort of tension of, like toxic masculinity version of Otto Octavius from the comics. And I like, there's a bit in it where, um, so the line, it's around like uh, line 45 of the poem where he says, and indeed there will be time to wonder, do I dare? And do I dare? 
Time to turn back and descend the stair, with a bald spot in the middle of my hair. They will say, how his hair is growing thin, my morning coat, my collar mounting firmly to the chin, my necktie rich and modest but asserted with a simple pin. They will say, but how his arms and legs are thin, do I dare disturb the universe? In a minute there is time for decisions and revisions, which a minute will reverse. Okay, so that's in a, a like a physical description of like how people react to the character and it reminds me of dr octopus Mm -hmm. because it's all about like his awful hair and this like weird coat that he pulls up to his chin and people are literally like his arms and legs they're 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 thin like i i just i saw that and i was like that's spider-man 2 right there and i bet yeah i don't know i bet sergeant read that i was like okay yeah we'll put some t.s Eliot in here (laughs) interesting Um, Hmm. yeah there's Poetry reading for the day here on Spider-Man Minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and then and then just to call out another another Vertigo-esque line, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, that's right, as if he didn't remember <laughs> because it didn't happen to him. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, we did meet in college. What? Was <laughs> <laughs> a weird bit of rhetoric <laughs> oh man if i was rosy i just slapped this guy constantly <laughs> yeah did we did we really that's like that's how it feels yeah oh that's <laughs> right i remember oh, yeah. we were engaged <laughs> anyway this is like literally the only time you're ever going to hear us complain like complain this much about a scene because oh yeah I, again all the stuff is like it it all has purpose it's just mm. oh man it could be written so much better um yeah. and so much more yeah. natural than it is right now <laughs> <laughs> and it also you know it could very much be a side effect as well i mean we we've already we've talked many times about uh sam's propensity to cast Broadway actors and when he puts them in a scene to just shoot the scene like it's a play and that's kind of what's happening here that's pretty accurate yeah it's it's mm. uh it does feel like a play it's mm-hmm. it's more expository than necessary yeah so yeah. and and even the blocking is very play like in that no mm-hmm. one's back is to the audience <laughs> yeah like <laughs> Like Otto is like turned sideways in his chair, mm-hmm, you know, so that mm-hmm. his back isn't to the audience. I mean, it's yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. This is our you got to have a little Broadway minute in every uh, Spider-Man flick. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I this guess is, so. This is ours for the one. <laughs> I just love how much business that Rosie does on her like, uh, <laughs> but it's hardly perfect. You have to work at it, you know. Like she has this like maybe two or three lines there that she like inhabits with all of this movement and gesturing and whatnot and she's saying like not much at all it it's reminds really... me of uh it reminds <laughs> me of aunt beru um in, yeah. in star wars <laughs> where she just like she's like she has he has too much of his father in him <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't it doesn't time. help that it's like completely dubbed over obviously um Right. Post. It's yeah. pretty obvious ADR the way that Aunt Baru is like not even the same actress's voice. Um. <laughs> Shout out to Star Wars Minute. Yeah. Uh, our, yeah. yeah. Forefathers. Our forefathers. Yeah. <laughs> Too much Did of our forefathers, forefathers sleep before they signed the Declaration of Independence? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. oh, man. Thank you for being.
being here on this minute, Jay. This oh, this I'm I'm happy to be here on this one. This, this is fun. It's uh, it is a bit of a train wreck of a minute, but I'm glad I'm part of it. Yeah, I knew I I knew I had to bring in our big guns for a minute like this. <laughs> However, um, you know, going back to what we were talking about in yesterday's minute, as far as uh, the you know, sympathetic frequencies of uh, yes. of uh, mm-hmm. Peter and and uh, Otto. I mean, this is the minute where they are, where it's happening. I mean, there's that moment where when when Peter says uh, the you know the curve is the quickest descent thing, he's mm. getting on his wavelength. You know, yep. like yeah. that's he's yeah. he's matching him. Um, and it's uh, he's looking at these two, and he's. He's seeing a life that he could have because ultimately, you know, the, the, the last movie is all about him giving up on the things that he wants currently. Right. It's all Mm -hmm. about like, you know, oh, I want to get the girl in order to get the girl. I want a car. I need a car. So I'm going to go to do this wrestling thing because I need money to get the car to get the girl, right? Uh So it's all like objectivity to a certain extent and then learning him learning sort of the, the the selfishness in that and how he wasn't using his powers responsibly, et cetera, et cetera. But yes. that's all it's about is it, it's about wanting things without earning them and, and, you know, doing things irresponsibly. And I mean, you, you look at uh, Norman's arc in that movie and it's, it it's very much similar to Peter's. It's not quite as strong as uh, in this film, but it's still uh-huh. it's still there. It's it's that you know he he wants to uh, he wants to keep his contract with the military, so he blows him up, uh, and then <laughs> he wants to keep his job, so he blows up his board members. Um, but I mean, it's it's a version of sort of like the same philosophy in a certain way. It's just being done in divergent ways, and yes. and here, what this is about is just is like Peter saying like, okay, I mean, it's fine that I'm sacrificing my life currently. I mean, look, college is supposed to be hard anyway, but like, what about the future? Like, what am I giving mm-hmm. up? Because am I going to do this forever? And yeah. what, yeah. you know, what, what am I giving up? And right here, he's looking at a potential future for himself and how he's always envisioned his future. Like he's a scientist. Mary Jane is an artist. Um, You know, that's, yep. this is what he imagines his life to be or what he always imagined his life to be, you know, 20, 30 years down the road. And because of Spider-Man, that might not ever happen. And so this is all about, the idea of like, okay, if you're going to be this hero, like you have to give up on your dreams. And uh-huh. that's also the arc of Otto is like, if yeah. you want to be a hero, you have to give up on your dream in order to save yeah. New York. You have to drown your experiment. Their experiment. Uh-huh. Yeah. You dedicated your life to this thing, this one idea yeah. of your legacy. And you have to give it's it up it. or you're going to be a monster. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. I mean, it's the mm-hmm. the 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 uh, the character arcs in this movie are absolutely spectacular. Um, yeah. uh, you know, they were strong in the first film, like I pointed out, but they weren't they weren't this strong. They weren't no. 
so well-defined and, and those well-defined, that well-defined theme and that those well-defined arcs and how they coexist with each other is the reason why this movie is as good as, good as it is, despite the fact that it was being written in a trailer on set the day before. The day before. <laughs> yeah. Or it's, I don't know what, what miracle of characterization landed them on like this through line that works so well, but like, it, to a certain degree, having the first couple uh, uh, script passes by these different writers, sometimes that can lead to like just a bunch of extraneous stuff hanging on from previous drafts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess in this mm-hmm. scenario where they're like, we have to, we patch together this like kind of script using bits from the other ones. That's our basic outline. And we have to go into production right now, only take the basic structure of it. And then we'll rework from there. The thing that survived was the structure. The thing that survived was the arcs. Uh-huh. The thing that like we kept over from the other drafts, as far as I can tell, is the the guiding principles of how these two main characters are on those 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 uh, simpatico paths. So it's it was almost like a like a slight blessing. Like it's not like this is an easily re- replicatable uh, uh, experiment here, but it, almost a blessing uh, with the timeline in terms of let's only keep what works with the themes, and the themes are already really good, mm-hmm. and we will will deal with the dialogue on the day. Yeah. Is, um, it's ultimately, crazy. it's like, if you have a good set, the set dressing is easy. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, yeah. But, but, and that's ultimately the problem with Spider-Man 3 is that the set sucks. Yeah. Like the set like the is it, basic undertone. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a weak but... set. Like their 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 uh their studios falling apart. Um <laughs> and, and they're expected to shoot a movie in there. Uh I mean that's that's ultimately what the problem is. It's like they just the bones aren't good in Spider-Man 3. Yeah. Whereas the bones are are superb in this movie. Uh, and and it allowed for that kind of flexibility. I mean, that's and that's that's the thing, right? Is like if you're gonna have to go into a situation like this, mm-hmm. that's what you want. You want that really good, those really good bones. Uh, you yeah. can't you can't force it. You need to get the bones in in place. Everything else will come if you have a good enough screenwriter like Alvin Sargent. I mean, you he can he can if you give him the bones, he can put the meat on it. Um, and, Uh and, and put it on quickly and make it good, but it, it, you gotta have the bones. If the bones aren't there, it's just, it's, it's not going to work. And that's how we get a mess like Spider-Man three. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, Hey, we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants with two and that worked great. So why not do it again? But it's not quite that you were flying by the seat of your pants there. You can't build a set around the set dressing. Nope. And that's what they tried to do with Spider-Man three and. They're like, man, we just cannot fit this set dressing into this set. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe you shouldn't force it. Oh, you're just going to? Okay, great. Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> okay great. Uh, Avi wanted Doc Octopus last film, Dr. Octopus on the last film. He really wants Venom in this one, so I guess, I guess we'll do it. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, he really wanted Venom in the first one, too, remember? <laughs> yeah. Gotta sell those toys, folks. Yeah. Gotta sell those toys. Uh, could you imagine the first Spider-Man ever, and it's Venom as the villain? Can you imagine? Oh, oh, so God. bad. <laughs> so bad. What, you mean a character that depends on the legacy of Spider-Man existing before him? No. What? Of course. <laughs> that sounds easy. It's perfect. Yeah, I'll go over great. Uh, we're uh, not so different, you and I. 
<laughs> Just look at our costumes. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we're going to be back with uh, Minute 23 tomorrow. Uh, in the meantime, mm. go check out DuelingGenre.com and uh, check out all of our other shows there. Check out Jay on Geek by Night. Yeah. Heck yeah. Uh, I don't think – have your characters ever interacted before? I – I don't think so. I don't think they have, no. Well, no that's going to no. need to change in the future. Hmm. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I think I, I think there was an episode that we wrote that we completely scrapped that did have a lot of scenes with you guys together. Um, oh, cool. And then yeah. we totally scrapped it and started over. <laughs> and then it didn't happen. Uh, but yeah. That's screenwriting, folks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> soon, soon, soon. Not Didn't have good bones. Didn't have good bones, so I threw the set away. Um, Perfect. Anyway. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so you guys should check check out Geek by Night. That's at DuelingGenre.com along with uh, all of the other podcasts that we have over there. Check them out. And we'll be back tomorrow with Minute 23. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.